0: Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the evermore young, borderline hip and vivaciously lay editors of American <laughs> Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey guys. And Zach Davis. Hello again. Hello. So we are transporting ourselves to post-4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) But this is being recorded before 4th of July so that we can all... Oh, are you going (laughs) to... That
1: was backwards.
0: (laughs) So yes, we wanted to pre-record this because we might be out of town at various beaches and places next week, but we still want to show up on in your (laughs) iTunes feed on next Friday. (laughs) So... Zach, what are we drinking this 4th of July week?
1: Well, to celebrate the 4th of July We've got the King of Beers uh, Which you might think is Budweiser But no, it's America It's
0: America so we are
1: drinking America Produced by Budweiser Produced by Russian oligarchs <laughs> <laughs> So
0: <laughs> A pluribus unum Cheers Cheers Who are we talking to this slash
2: next week? <laughs> 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 So we're talking to Danny Gustafson, who is a Jesuit regent who teaches at Fordham Prep and is also an editor at the Jesuit Post. So we'll be talking to him about this new survey that came out sort of in advance to next year's synod on young people. So we're going to be talking to him about that a little bit.
0: Um, Yes. So a synod is a gathering of bishops. So... In 2014 and 2015, there was the Synod of Bishops on the Family, where they got together to talk about family issues. And in 2018, they're going to be talking about the youths.
1: The youths. (laughs) The youths. So, let me get this straight. Gaggle of geese, Synod of Bishops.
0: That is correct. (laughs) Okay, got it. And so, just so people who don't live in New York, Fordham Prep is a high school, and the Jesuit Post is published by American Media, and it's a... Online publication aimed at young adults, and it's all written by young men in Jesuit formation. So that'll be a great talk.
2: Yeah, sorry, I'm so New York centric. I said Ford and Prep, like, uh, of course, yeah, everyone, everyone knows, knows what
0: that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite all right. We are going to have Signs of the Times this week, but it's going to be a little different because. I'm who knows? Getting,
1: who knows what yeah, will happen the, in the next couple of weeks
0: things might happen between now and <laughs> next week. But we can't we can't predict that. So we're going to talk about the state of the country on this 4th of July, specifically under President Donald Trump. But before we dive into all things Trumpian, um, what do you guys have planned for the 4th of July weekend?
1: Uh, I don't. The meaning of the day is lost upon me. But 4th of July for me is basically every other year I alternate between whatever city I'm living in and going back home to Delaware, Ohio, where the best fireworks in the country are- Oh, really? Yep. Are produced.
0: (laughs) Better than the Washington Mall.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. That's so sanitized (laughs) and safe. But so I usually go back and the whole town comes out and it's this very communal thing. Um, You know, it means bonfires and hot dogs and beer and uh, getting together with the community. So that is what the 4th of July means to me.
0: Wasn't there like a Confederate flag controversy last year? <laughs> Who,
1: let the, let the one of us without a Confederate flag controversy in their hometown <laughs> cast the first stone.
0: Fair. <laughs> I go to South Carolina every, every year, or I, growing up, I would spend my, uh, my 4th of July's in South Carolina we would go to Lake Lure with all my mom's side of the family, and it was wonderful. And our favorite part of the night is when the fireworks are going. Um, we all the all twenty cousins sing "Proud to Be an American," and it's great.
2: <laughs> what about you, Olga? Uh, mine is very similar to what Zach was mentioning. It my family gets together, we do this whole like this really big communal barbecue up in the Bronx, and we just eat a lot of food. Not really hot dogs and stuff because for Dominicans we just repeat a lot of what we do for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's a lot of chicken, a lot of pork, um, a really large portions. Um, but there's, there's
1: some of that in hot dogs, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So yeah, we just get together, we eat, and we celebrate. Listen to a lot of merengue music, and it's just like a. F- really communal fun time you know and it's kind of like the only time of year aside from the other two holidays where my family actually gets together when it's
0: not freezing outside so it's yeah (laughs) nice nice um so will things be different now that we have a president who's promised to make america great again will this be the best fourth of july ever
1: (laughs) i mean like i said the holiday for me is like totally devoid (laughs) of any type of like national spiritual significance yeah uh for good or for ill. Uh, so, Speaking of which, yes. you
0: wrote an article for America about national spiritual significance. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> nice segue.
0: Thank you. <laughs> it, so your article is called, Donald Trump's sins are our sins too, and impeachment won't absolve them.
1: Yeah, so when I was writing this piece... Do explain. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, I was noticing that a lot of people, especially with the Comey testimony and... Comey is what? uh, Former director of the FBI who was fired by President Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people are hoping that this will prove collusion with Russian officials so that we can impeach Donald Trump and And everything
0: will be solved. And
1: everything will be solved. And uh, what I was trying to point out was that this obsession with impeachment um, is a form of escapism a little bit uh, because Donald Trump is in fact... 100% American and produced by us and our structures and our history and trends. Mm -hmm. So failure to reckon with that um, and sort of just push him off as a scapegoat and impeaching him um, is problematic.
0: Yeah. And this is partly in response to people who are, there was right after he was elected, like not our president. So you're saying he is your president.
1: Yeah. He's totally our, he's my president. He's your president. He's our president.
0: Can can I just read your opening paragraph? Sure. You say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. I dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. I aborted the fetus with Down syndrome. I took away the coal miner's health insurance. I pushed for higher sentencing requirements. I blocked the refugee. I deported the undocumented. Wow, Zach. It's pretty messed up.
1: I know. I've uh, (laughs) done some... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rough stuff in my life, but
0: so yeah, so what is the connection between how you are how you see um, uh, the politics of this and the Catholic like conception of sin?
1: Yeah, it's I confess it, but I say it with the community in front of the community and I ask for absolution and with the community. and you know, even the most innocent among us babies are still born with the sin of Adam and Eve is something we all teach. So we all share. There's no such thing as a private sin.
2: Yeah. And I think one one line that I really found interesting in your piece is Americans have long believed in the myth of our exceptionalism. And I think that where that's where a lot of the he's not my president is coming from, because I think a lot of people want to think that Trump just came out of nowhere. And America has always been this wonderful nation where we've always done these really fantastic things. But it's, you know, if we look back all throughout history for people of color, Native Americans, you know, we have always had awful moments in history. And I think it's easier to point the finger and to just say, like, no, I didn't vote for him. I have nothing to do with this, but that's not true.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just as Christians share the sin of our first parents, Americans share in the original sins of our country. Um, you know, as a white male, I can't exist without all of the privileges that come with that. And similarly, as an American, you can't exist in the structures that exist here without also existing in the same structures that, you know, produced slavery and uh, internment camps and redlining and extermination of Native Americans. And because of that, we all live here and we all participate in those. um, And we have to acknowledge that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would fully support getting his hands off the nuclear codes. Uh, so I don't want this to come across as some as a, a defensive, right? But you know, you're not off the hook just because you didn't vote for him is what I would say. Do we typically say welcome back? Uh, i haven't done this nope. part in a while <laughs> we great. usually
0: say and now we're joined by all right
1: well <laughs> all right that's why
0: we usually say yeah <laughs> and i don't know now... i'm second guessing myself
1: <laughs> and now we are pleased to welcome danny gustafson who is a jesuit regent working at
3: fordham prep what are you teaching there uh religion i've got freshmen and juniors and next year freshmen and seniors all right.
1: great who yep yeah, so you're teaching them and you're also editor at large at the jesuit post that's right
0: Published by American Media.
1: Published by American (laughs) Media. Editor on the run.
0: (laughs) Yeah, welcome to Jesuitical, Danny.
3: Thanks, good to be here.
0: Great to have you here. So, one of our listeners, Katie Sampius, suggested that we all take the survey that the Vatican has put out ahead of its, it's called the Synod of Bishops on Youth and Vocation. So, all the bishops are going to get together in Rome and talk about us (laughs) youths.
1: The (laughs) youths.
0: And so ahead of this, they wanted to get an idea of what the youths are thinking this in these days. Um, so we all took the survey and we thought that you would be a perfect person to talk about it with because you work with young people at Fordham Prep and uh, the TJP is geared towards young adult Catholics. Um, so did you take the survey?
1: I did. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, and so,
1: d- so did all of us. Yes, we yeah, all took the survey. The thing I thought was interesting is it seemed mostly almost sociological in what it was asking. Exactly. Right, which- um, Yeah, it had
0: questions about work and school and- mm-hmm.
1: like, When you moved they, out. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you've moved out, do you have kids? Um, it was almost like a census of sorts, but not even for Catholics. It seemed like it was geared towards, if anything, people who aren't practicing right now, which I thought was super interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, even the question about uh, religious beliefs that, you know, do you practice faith tradition? If so, what is it? And the first one was I'm Catholic, but then it was, I'm Catholic, but not practicing. I'm Christian, but not Catholic. I'm Christian, not Catholic, not practicing. <laughs> I believe in a higher being. So The the options were totally open to really yeah. any background. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually writing
1: an article for America on young adult ministry in the United States an upcoming in advance of the synod, uh, and one of the things that I found in talking to people is that I think the Vatican is uh, more interested in hearing from people who aren't involved anymore, um, so he, who are kind of on the peripheries right now. Uh, and the survey reflected that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so maybe we can just start talking about some of the questions that I thought were particularly uh, interesting. One of them had to do with what, what persons or institutions uh, had the most influence on you and your faith life. Um, so how did you guys answer that question?
2: I think one of the ones I picked was universities. Like, it was just such a part of my um, upbringing and my education that I really didn't think of how much it's affected me until I'm looking at the server right now as a 27-year-old. And I'm just like, wow, my entire sense of right and wrong, my values, everything have been influenced by Catholic education and just sort of Catholic social teaching. So that was that stood out to me personally. How about you guys?
1: I put a lot of my... Teachers and, you know, professors were really important to me. And so being, you know, and, and I didn't go to Catholic school until I went to Loyola Chicago. And that was my first experience of Catholic education. But even then, you know, it wasn't necessarily teachers who were invested in it because it was a Catholic school. It was just sort of people investing in me and supporting me and, you know, pushing me to do what I was talented at. Um, so that's what I put for the people that have influenced yeah, me Yeah, I
0: was surprised by my answer, too, just because... Now I'm so engaged in the church. I work, work with the church. But when I was a kid, like, priests and reli- women religious were not a part of my life, really. I You know, I went to church, but I was not getting advice from priests. Um, so, like, my answers were, like, soccer coaches and <laughs> teachers and my parents, of course. But, yeah, I, I, given where I am now, uh, the church did not have that much overt influence over me or or that, yeah, that I can— really think about and well, pinpoint now
3: i think the i think the survey was aware of that as well because yeah. at one point they asked about sort of influence or religious practice now but then said step back to when you were 17 what was mm-hmm. it like then so i think there's sort of an awareness or a recognition yeah, that yeah. those things do change mm-hmm. as we sort of move from adolescence and young, young adulthood
1: but it's yeah it's interesting because i also in addition to i mean coaches were not Coaches cut me from the basketball team, so I did not put them as a huge influence on my life. I but,
0: mean, influence and difference. That's a good point. Yeah. You certainly haven't forgotten. I opened
1: up the, the free, my free response was purely venting about that as episode. As of
0: our listeners will know. <laughs> um,
1: but, you know, I was super involved in a youth group, sort of ha- like, and it happened by chance. And so even my decision to go to Loyola was definitely influenced by that you know i always think of what my life would have been like had i not gotten involved in that youth group in high school and it's the way i imagine it is very much i would have gone to you know a public college studied english um been like an you know i don't know antagonistically agnostic probably mm-hmm. um and my whole life's different because <laughs> someone invited me to a youth group and i actually got to know a lot of youth ministers and priests that you know
0: was it a pretty girl
1: <laughs> and, a
2: pretty gr- and a pretty girl. and a pretty girl so, Danny, how about what kind of answers would you get from the young people that you work with or the young people that you teach?
3: I wrote about a couple of years ago when I was, uh, I went to Philadelphia for the weekend the Pope was in town because a friend of mine who was working at St. Joe's Prep at the time was organizing a pilgrimage there for high schoolers from all over the U.S. And I think Canada, maybe Puerto Rico were invited as well to come and stay at St. Joe's Prep. And we had a sort of like a conference over a couple of days with the different talks and then breakout sessions and time for praying together in mass and reconciliation service and all of that. And then we went down to the uh, papal events in Philly with all of them. And uh, during the reconciliation service, this friend of mine who was organizing it stepped outside of the church just for a minute. And one of the organizers, one of the students, student organizers of this event was sitting on the curb, just sobbing into his hands. And my friend goes, so-and-so, like, what, what's going on? And the kid said, I have never experienced God like this before.
0: Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. What do you think are the with the with your students the biggest barriers to faith or be feeling like they're a part of the church today?
3: I think that they don't want to be told what to do or what to believe, so, so they're teenagers. They're teenagers, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's just raging hormones and all kinds of angst. Um, no, I think that they can be they can be taught facts, but I have found them that they're more responsive to me. When I'll also sort to of give them the facts and give them ways to think about those things, but let them put the pieces together and sort of come to the conclusions on their own, and they buy in pretty significantly if they just get a little more space to sort of be adults in some way and choose to claim this or not for their for themselves, and not have me just sort of throw a catechism at them for forty minutes a day all school year long. But to give them the information certainly and to teach what the church is, what the church believes, but ultimately let them put the pieces together on their own at some point.
0: Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. I was raised Catholic, went to mass, but it wasn't until I was in college and didn't have my parents dragging me to mass that my faith really became important to me.
1: Here's something that I really want to get into is like what is a young adult really, you know, for the church? I mean, they're the most one of the most fluid demographics. Young adults can mean student, can mean working, can mean married can mean have
0: children of their own (laughs) children of their own
1: they could be they could have kids that are 10 years old Yeah. right so how do you how do you minister to that demographic and i think this is seen on the parish level too no one really knows what they're doing yeah have has anyone ever been to a young adult event put on either by their parish or their diocese here
2: yes no
1: yeah so i mean what can and right now i think the answer is let's have a theology on tap right Right, yeah. that's basically the only thing people are doing, right? Like, give them beer, which is not a bad scenario, but also, I don't know if it's working. Do you? Th- I-, I think the church needs to shift the way it thinks about young people. Like, I think the danger becomes if young people are zoo animals at the synod, right? Yeah,
0: that's why, well, mm. I'm also thinking, do young people need to be, like, targeted as young people or incorporated into the life of the church as just regular like I don't know I feel like the church is like one of the last places where you can like interact with people who aren't your own age and so maybe it's more important to have a book club that like 22 year olds and six year olds feel welcome at than to like have a young adult happy hour for you know archaeology on tap kind of thing
1: I mean that's something I've said in my our own parish Mm -hmm. um I don't have any shortage of like drinks with friends in my life (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't need more of that. So, like, if someone's like, hey, you know, we're having drinks and social after mass for the young adult group, I'm not going to, you know, I've got something else to do. I'm not going to feel any guilt whatsoever skipping that. But if someone's like, you know, we're going to do small group faith sharing, and then I'm missing out on someone I have a relationship with, and, you know, they're telling me where they're experiencing God in their lives that week, and I'm missing out on that as well. That, I think, is something, you know, I don't have
3: you know now i do here at this podcast but um does that make sense i yeah, don't know no, i think it does well i think a question there is is that a way of ministering to young people or is that a way of ministering just to people yeah i think these are naturally things that could be incorporated into the overall ministry of a parish or a school or you know whatever this, the community is but i think these are just good things to be done mm-hmm. that might be a particular appeal to young people but i don't think they're limited to people between the ages of 16 and 29 certainly
1: Yeah, it reminds me of,
3: I retweeted this from
1: our Jesuitical account, but someone who was like, me, heck yeah, I'm a pious Catholic who wants more community. Also me, no, I won't join any church groups. (laughs) 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 Which, like, really sums up a lot of young people's positions right now. I don't know. That's how I feel. It's like, yeah, but also, no thanks.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, Danny, you're a young adult clearly you fit within the age range but you're also a Jesuit so what experiences as a young person led you to become a Jesuit
3: really comes down to the Jesuits I met when I was in college you know got to got to college and thought all right I'm free I'm sort of an adult I'm on my own now didn't think I'd keep going to mass probably had you know nice enough parish priests growing up but it was never that meaningful to me and really it was the the jesuits ability to connect what was going on in the gospel with what was going on in current events in the world around me and that connection was something i sort of always felt was there but had never really heard teased out in homilies in a big way and so hearing them do that as a you know 18 year old college freshman was very exciting and affirming and encouraging and helped me see the relevancy of faith in the world around me and also sort of the personal example of these jesuits they're They were humans. They're regular guys. They're very, very bright professors and scholars. A lot of them had had other careers before entering as lawyers or engineers. Uh, One worked in politics. And at first I was sort of confused by like, why would you walk away from all of those things? Because it was clear that their ultimate priority was ministering to us students and and serving Jesus were really their two main priorities, which might be one in the same. And I was sort of confused why... And they're so successful. They've got all these things going for them. It's like, why don't, why isn't like, why aren't like sort of you yourself a bigger deal in your own mind, which is as much, at least as much about me as about them. Uh, but it was, it was sort of their example and sort of their their humanness. They were very skilled, very bright, and weren't trying to hide their flaws. You know, um, if they're sort of, you know tech nerds or have a big interest in college basketball or whatever, that it's sort of very normal human sorts of interests. And that was inviting encouraging appealing to me so it really comes down to their, their personal example of being just regular people for whom faith was very important
1: all right should we uh move into our last question we should so i'm sure you know this is coming uh, we ask all of our guests if you could canonize one person living or dead fictional or non-fictional uh catholic or not if you were given those powers which we're giving them to you right now <laughs>
3: I we have the power okay. to give
1: you
3: those powers. Yes. Uh, who who's it going to be? <laughs> Thought a lot about it. Flannery O'Connor. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Favorite Whereas author that
0: hasn't come up yet.
3: No, work. I'm surprised. Yeah. You know. but no, I think her, her use. I mean, her writing is is beautiful. It's challenging. It's a little grating. That I find it moving. I don't know if I like it or enjoy it mm-hmm. on sort of a, like a surface level, but it's it's challenging, which I appreciate. Uh, and I was rereading a couple of her short stories while I was on retreat last week. And, Which ones? Which ones? Uh, Revelation was the one I sat with for a while. Nice. And I mean, her use of the grotesque of sort of who is who is usually who is the like ugliest or most repulsive person in the story, and they're likely going to wind up being the voice of God in that story. Uh, challenges me on, in sort of my own spiritual life and in my own life, uh, sort of day to day. So her ability to sort of find God or present God in the unlikely people is inspirational and challenging in a way that I need. You've made Mark Bosco very proud. <laughs> All right, Danny, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you,
1: Danny. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having and me. And good luck with the muse. Thank
0: you. <laughs> All right, now time for some listener feedback. We put out a Twitter poll, um, Looking forward to our conversation with Danny, and we asked, "How did you stay attached to your Catholic faith once your parents stopped forcing you to go to mass?" Uh, Robert Christian said, "Switched parishes to evening mass, popular with teens, with priests who connected faith to daily life, and ruffled some feathers with occasional, damn."
1: <laughs> just like, just like a typical college professor teaching freshmen. <laughs> Say a damn word one here and there and show yeah. the kid you're cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, next, we've got uh, David, who said he got into spiritual reading. James Martin, SJ, Merton, Rollheiser, and Rohr.
2: And next, from Bob Boyle, he writes, I began attending some evangelical Protestant churches, full circle and back in the Catholic church now.
1: Welcome, Welcome back. back.
2: Jinx. <laughs>
1: <laughs> On to consolations and desolations. So, for this part of the show we thought we would maybe offer some reflections on the state of the country right now and look for some bright spots um so and on a high note yeah and on a high note where
0: do we see god working which is is totally
1: not a form of escapism
0: (laughs) (laughs) no no looking for
1: good points when everything is bad
0: (laughs) what do you have zach
1: i would say something that i've seen in the country you know just with myself paying attention to things more and friends looking at things more is that I think, feel like people are paying attention to the political process in ways that they aren't before.
0: The emoluments clause. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That was a year ago. (laughs) Right.
2: Thankfully
1: someone is stepping all over different, you know, constitutional amendments that have become dormant for a while. And uh, we're paying attention to things like this more. And we're listening to daily news podcasts to try and keep up with the pace of current events. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I would have been doing that before this but um you know some of us are team npr up first some of us are team the daily but some of us are both yeah uh, so that's what i would say is in uh it's probably good for our civic health that we are paying more attention i'm sure there yeah. are next steps um but that's a good start
2: yeah what about you olga so i think one of the places i'm sort of seeing hope is just With all this rhetoric we've seen from this administration on immigrants and the undocumented, seeing various churches across the country just sort of popping up as sanctuary places for the undocumented, that's been really consoling for me. I come from an immigrant family. I'm I'm an immigrant myself, and I have undocumented relatives. And just seeing that regardless of what the government is saying, there are still church communities that are going to be there for these people who are terrified right now. And that, that feels super hopeful and super consoling. That's
0: great.
1: Ashley, what do you got?
0: Um, so this is anecdata. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of data. <laughs> That's the only data I trust. So. Uh, so I think, I think the political situation has caused a lot of people to really crave the, um, grounding that, uh, a faith community can give you, uh, a couple of guests on our show, uh, uh, Tracy Wigfield and Scott Detrow both talked about how, um, just the craziness of first the campaign and then the first few months of the Trump administration has really made mass a, a place of like calm and reflection that they really need in the midst of all of that. So I think it's, it's reassuring that people are still turning to the church in, in a, in a time like this.
1: It's funny, the church is, you know, I forget who said it, but either afflicting the comfortable or comforting the afflicted.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, should okay. we roll credits?
0: Wait, can we first say goodbye?
1: Yes. So.
0: Oh,
2: Lord. I don't want to so, do this. Yeah. I've, been, I've been, I've been in denial about this for quite some time, so I would just rather pretend. Okay. It's not well, this is the last episode that Wyatt just Massey. Just shut up, Wyatt.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's in the background trying to get us to not do this, but we have to. (laughs) This is the last episode produced by Wyatt Massey. He's been an O'Hare fellow at American Media for the past year, and this is his last day here, and we are so sad to see him go.
1: And honestly, like, would not be where we are without you, and that's not an understatement or a cliche, but... I would look at you if I didn't have to stare at my mic. Um, <laughs> I mean, you d- you've you done everything from make memes to learn audio editing programs to figure out how to hook up mics to give literally feedback. Everything, and literally everything. Yeah. Literally everything. So you've been...
0: Uh, and he was our first... When we were doing pilot episodes, he was yeah. our first guest. And that is when we realized... Oh, we need to have guests. We can't carry this We can't this just be like ourselves. the three of us
2: talking. So yeah.
0: you have really,
2: I'm not going to turn around because I might start crying, but <laughs> you have literally been a part of this from the very beginning when we were in like yeah. that dark studio in our old office. It was just like us three and Wyatt. I think no one at that point was still taking yeah. us super seriously, but Wyatt was there, you know, pushing so, us forward and we are going to miss you. Wyatt, yeah.
1: you will always be with us in our hearts. Always. So... He's and not dying, he's just moving on. He's not, he's project. just
2: moving on, but...
1: God. So, yeah, thank you. You will always be with me in my podcast feed. Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. I said I wouldn't. <laughs> Don't do it, actually, I can't. If you start crying
0: i'm gonna start uh, <laughs> all
1: right roll those credits ashley <laughs>
0: okay jesuitical is brought to you by American media and produced by wyatt massey and eloise blondio our editor is noah levinson jesuit formation provided by eric sundrip sj adult supervision provided by carrie weber research help provided by emma winters jack mccordick and anna marchese our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and find us on iTunes and leave us a review or find us on Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast. And you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at dot org. Uh, It's a little after the 4th, but happy 4th, y'all, and we will see you next week.